Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here today. And we had a huge crowd first service. Looks like we have another great crowd, especially since it's Labor Day weekend. So it's so good to see you guys. And I also want to welcome in our online family as well. We have hundreds of people joining us online right now. So if you guys would, get loud and welcome in our online family here today. And if you are here in person, you are here for our cookout Sunday. And so we've got enough food for everybody. Hamburgers, hot dogs, the sides, drinks, you name it. You didn't have to bring a thing but yourself. So make sure you stay afterwards. We got a lot of fun activities. There's like a hay maze and a train out there and games and all sorts of stuff. So hang around and enjoy yourself. Get to know some of our church family members. And if you are online, you might be thinking, well, I'm kind of missing out on all this. Well, if you have a cookout, go ahead and take a picture and put up on social media, tag our church. We love to see that. But also, you get to participate in Cookout Sunday as well because you see this nice charcoal grill I have up here? We're giving this away today. So if you fill out an online connection card, either through our app or through our website, if you fill that out today, we're going to give this away. We're going to draw one this week, just like we did last week for our First Church Cornhole set. So go ahead. If you're online, we will get it to you somehow, unless you're out of the country. But then we may still find a way to get it to you. I don't know. We'll see. But go ahead and fill it out, and we would love to give, give this away to you. And if you're new here today, you're probably wondering, What's this all about? Why is this church having a cookout? Why is there free food? Why do they have all this extra stuff here today? Well, it's because you're here for week two of our series, You're Invited. And every week in this series, we are throwing a party. Last week, we had our tailgate Sunday. And if you were here, it was a blast. We had a huge crowd last week. And everybody seemed real excited to uh, support their teams. And it was just a fun, fun time. But we also had some mascots here. And we found out that not everybody had a fun time. Here's a picture of my family with Pistol Pete. And if you take a look at this picture, if we can get it to come up here. There we go. You look, I'm smiling. Allison's smiling. Alex is smiling. Look at Addie. She is not very happy in that picture right there. Probably because that's not a wildcat that she's with, but she was not happy. But come to find out, she wasn't the only one. Another one of our staff members, his wife and kids took a picture. He is terrified. I mean, look at him. He's scared to death. And then their daughter is just staring down Pistol P, like, I don't trust you at all. And you OU fans, you understand that, right? But then there's one more. This was my favorite. This is another family in our church. And look at this little fellow right here. I mean, he definitely does not want to take his picture with Pistol Pete. I love that kid. He's on my soccer team, actually. And he is normally a fun, energetic kid. I mean, he's never down at all. But you put him around Pistol Pete, that's how he acts. So not everybody had a fun time, but most people did have a good time last Sunday. And I know we're going to have a good time today. It's our cookout Sunday. Next week is Super Sunday. You do not want to miss the conclusion to our You're Invited series. Because if you like superheroes, if your kids like them, it's going to be a really, really fun day. We're challenging our kids to wear their favorite costumes. And we're going to have a whole bunch of extra stuff as well. So make sure you're here for the games and activities and prizes and food and all the stuff that's going to go on. Snacks going to go on next week. We can't wait to celebrate Super Sunday with you next Sunday. But you might be thinking, well, Chad, you still haven't answered the question, why is First Church doing this? Well, the reason why we're throwing a party every week is because of how we see the church. See, I don't know what you think about when you think about the church. I don't know what picture comes to mind when you try to picture the church. But this is one way that we see it. The church is God's community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. This is what we believe here. And there's a lot of sadness in our world today. You don't have to go very far to see sadness, encounter sadness. It's everywhere. 
And the reason why there's so much sadness around us is because the world that we live in is not the world that God created it to be. This world that we live in has been corrupted by sin. We messed it up. But the whole reason why Jesus came was to bring heaven and earth back together again, to make everything right. And part of being his church means that we are to also show people what heaven is going to be like. We're supposed to be a signpost to heaven. We're a preview to heaven through our lives, through our ministry. We are to give people a taste of what heaven is supposed to look like. That's why Jesus told us to pray, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back. But until that day comes, it's our responsibility to bring heaven to earth in any way that we possibly can by showing people the joy, the hope, the love, the peace of heaven. And when that day comes, which the Bible says, all things will be made right again, people will experience that in its fullness. But we are a preview to that. And Jesus says, one way that we show people what our God is like, one way that we show people what heaven will be like is by unleashing heaven's joy on them. Look what Jesus tells us to do. He says, I have told you these things. In other words, I've taught you all this stuff. I've given you all these teachings for this purpose so that you will be filled. If you'll go back to that slide, so that you will be filled with my joy, not just any joy, but his joy, the joy of heaven. Yes, your joy will overflow. That's why we're here, to unleash God's joy on people around us. And when I say, when I talk about joy, I'm not talking about superficial happiness. I'm not talking about putting a fake smile on, just putting on a show. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we have this inner joy that drives us and motivates us even in the midst of difficult times. Life isn't always easy, but even in the midst of the difficulties of this life, we have this inner joy that continues to motivate us because we know that the empty tomb has once and for all proven that hopelessness is a lie, that no matter where you are right now, this is not the end of your story. When you know Jesus as Lord, there is more life ahead of you than behind you. We know hopelessness is a lie. We know darkness is fading away. We know death has been defeated. Pain is only temporary. We know about the hope of heaven. And because of that, we celebrate. That's why we're throwing parties here. Because we believe we have reason to celebrate no matter what. And God is throwing an eternal celebration. And the church is the beginning of that party. And it's our job as his people to invite as many people to the party as we possibly can. That's why Jesus says, the gospel of Luke, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come, to come to my banquet, to my feast, to my party, so that the house, my house, will be full. God wants a full house, and he wants everybody joining in the celebration that is the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's why in this series, you're invited, we're throwing a party every week, because sometimes we need to be reminded that we are a people of celebration. And so today is our cookout theme. It's our cookout Sunday. And since we're grilling hamburgers and hot dogs for everybody, 
Well, Matt Thomason, our executive minister, and myself, we thought maybe we needed to up our hamburger game just a little bit, and we wanted to impress you guys. And so we went to a local hamburger place, Smitty's Garage, and we asked one of their chefs to teach us how to make the perfect hamburger. Take a look at how it went this week. Hello guys, today I teach how they cook kitchen burger, to smash okay. the, the burger. Ah, okay. Mine's not very round. Yeah, mine's not either. <laughs> the seasoning, four shakes. Four shakes. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Can I do it? Alright, you do yours. One, two, three, four. Gosh, I like your dance there. Buns. Roll it on there. Can you put extra stuff on it too? Yeah, whatever you want. You can add real jalapenos, real onions, eggs. Do you think salad on this too? Okay, so now it's ready. Yeah, flip it. Garlic aioli. Garlic aioli. There you go. Yep. The mushroom. Alright. <laughs> what do you do to the, do the water? Ah, oh, look at that! Beautiful. It's too pretty to eat. He's actually going to serve those people. Yeah, I feel sorry for whoever got those hamburgers, that's for sure. I don't know what traditions you have for Labor Day. Maybe it is grilling out. Maybe you travel to see family. Maybe you go to the lake. Maybe you have friends and family over to your house. I don't know what traditions you have for Labor Day, but we all have them. And one tradition that my family always had when I was growing up is we would travel two hours away to go visit my grandparents, my dad's parents, my mamaw, my papaw. I always loved visiting them. I was close with them. But my mamaw had something special for us every single time we would show up. She had this candy dish that looked a lot like this one that she would keep in her living room. And every time we would show up, it would always be full of Reese's peanut butter cups. And she had it full every single time, and if we stayed a weekend, my brother and I, we would knock these out. We would eat every single one of them. And she always had them. In fact, one time we showed up, and we didn't announce that we were coming. We didn't let him know we were coming. We just kind of surprised him. And she only had like a couple uh, Reese's Cups left in the bottom. So she made my papa run out to the store and get more because she wanted to make sure that we had them. And every time we would show up, we always looked forward to going to the living room and getting a Reese's peanut butter cup. And here's the thing, my mammal died in 1997. Here's a picture of my mammal and me. This isn't when she died, she lived many years after that, but I was a little boy there. I was cute back then, you know? But that's a picture of my mammal. 24 years later, I can't look at a Reese's cup, smell a Reese's cup, and taste one when I do have them. I don't eat them a lot anymore, but when I do, I can't smell, look at, or taste a Reese's cup without thinking of my mammal. Memories are powerful. They really are. And certain sights, 
certain smells, certain tastes can trigger powerful memories. I was talking with one of our staff members this week and she said that every time she walks into a Macy's store, she thinks of her grandpa because her grandpa liked to try out all the different sample colognes that they have in Macy's. And so when she walks in and she smells all these different colognes, she immediately thinks of her grandpa. I talked to somebody else this week that said that every time that he drinks lemonade, he thinks of his next door neighbor because his next door neighbor was this little elderly lady lived by herself. And when the neighborhood kids would go out and they would play, she would bring out lemonade for all the little kids. And he said, to this day, anytime I drink lemonade, doesn't matter who made it or what brand it is or anything like that, I always think of my next door neighbor. Memories are powerful and certain things can trigger powerful memories. Every time I smell somebody cooking out, I smell a grill. I think of my dad. My dad to this day, he is a master chef when it comes to grilling out. He fixes the perfect hamburger, the perfect hot dog. He's great. So every time I smell a grill, I think of my dad. I mean, even just a few months ago when they were in Oklahoma visiting, my dad bought us a charcoal grill and he was teaching my kids how to use it. That's just what he's kind of known for. Memories are powerful. And certain smells, certain sights, certain tastes, well, they can trigger powerful associations, powerful memories. And a lot of times those memories, well, they're positive and they're good memories and we enjoy them, but not always. We know that not all memories are good. And sometimes what we see or what we smell or even taste can trigger a bad memory. And a bad memory, if we're not careful, has the ability, the power to overwhelm a bunch of good memories. A bad memory can overpower our lives if we're not careful. And it can lead us to a place of deep, deep regret. And the Bible warns us about this. The Bible is telling us that long-term regret isn't a good thing. In fact, long-term regret robs us of lasting joy. And some of you guys know that to be the case. There's a guy we're going to look at in scripture today who also knew that to be the case. He was fluent in the language of regret. You've probably heard his name before. His name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. But even Jesus' closest friends and followers will struggle with regret at times. And we're going to meet him and we're going to look at his life today. And I think as we study his life we're going to be introduced to this truth. Jesus came to relieve us of our regrets, but not just to relieve us of our regrets, to also restore joy to our lives. And we'll see this as we look at this example of Peter's life. So we first meet Peter as Jesus launches his three-year ministry by a lake. This lake was commonly called the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus spent a lot, of times in, a lot of time in his earliest days preaching and teaching by this lake. And there were some fishermen that were there day in and day out earning a living. One of those fishermen was named Peter. And Peter and his other fishing companions, well, they got to hear Jesus teach on occasion. And one day, Peter and his buddies are coming back in from fishing, and they haven't caught anything. They've been out all night, and they haven't caught a thing. And Jesus looks at them, and he says... How's the fishing going? And they just kind of put their heads down, not very well. And Jesus says, why don't you guys go back out into the deeper water and put your nets out there? You'll catch something. And I bet at that moment, you could probably hear these fishermen groan. <laughs> 
Because Jesus, I mean, he's a carpenter turned preacher. He's not a fisherman. These were professional fishermen. This is what they did for a living. And they've been out all night and they hadn't caught anything. And I'm sure they kind of roll their eyes and groan a little bit. Yeah, what does this guy know about fishing? But they've been listening to Jesus teach. And they know that he's a man of God. And they know that he's a great teacher of God's word. So they have respect for him. So listen to how Peter responds. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But... Because you say so. In other words, because we respect you, because we know you're a good guy, because we've been listening to you teach, and we don't want to offend you, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, I understand why Peter responds in this way. I've shared with you guys before, I love to go fishing. We have a pond in our backyard, and I love to go fishing. And I take my family all the time. But one thing I cannot stand is unsolicited fishing advice, especially from those who are amateurs like me. No one would ever classify me as a professional fisherman. I'm not. I'm nothing close to that. I'm very much an amateur, maybe less than that. But what I can stand is when other amateur fishermen want to give me fishing advice, and I know they don't know what they're talking about. Let me give you an example of this. Just a week or so ago, I took my family out fishing. as the four of us, and so we're fishing in our back pond. And this is what happens anytime I take the four of us out. They get to fish like 30 minutes before I do because I'm busy putting worms on everybody's hook. I'm busy making sure that they've got bobbers on their line and all that. I'm busy taking the fish off the hook when they catch them because they don't want to touch the fish, you know. They just want all the fun stuff and I got to do all their dirty work and that's how it always works. And no joke, this day we were out there and the fish were biting and they were all catching them and it'd been like 20, 25 minutes, maybe even a half an hour and I hadn't even put my line in yet because I was so busy taking care of everybody else. So Finally, I got to go fishing, and when I did, Alex turned to me, my eight-year-old son, and he goes, Daddy, how many have you caught? And I looked at him, and I was like, well, none? And he said, it's because you're not doing it right. (laughs) And I looked at him, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm sitting down, and you're standing up. If you want to catch fish, you need to sit down. I've already caught six of them. And this is a picture of one of the fish that he caught. He caught a catfish there. We don't have a lot of huge catfish, but still, that's a pretty good catch for our pond. And so he's bragging about it. And I want to say, listen here, eight-year-old. It's not because I'm not sitting down. I'm not catching fish. It's because I'm taking care of you and your sister and your mom, who I love, by the way. But still, it's because I'm taking care of all them. That's the reason why I haven't caught anything. He's no expert. He's eight years old. So you know what? I did not listen to his fishing advice. But you know, we do have some professional fishermen in our church. And if they gave me advice, I would listen. We have some guys who run the Tackle Bandit fishing store. It's in Collinsville. And they go fishing a lot. And let me tell you something. They have some huge success. Here's a picture that one of them showed me just the other day. Here's some of the fish that they caught. But I like this second one even better. Look at that sucker. I mean, that thing is huge. You know, and they do this all the time. If they want to give me fishing advice, I'll listen, okay? They know more than I do. My eight-year-old son, not so much. And I bet when Jesus said, Why don't you go out, throw your nets out into the deeper water? And Peter said, okay, we'll do it because we respect you. The other disciples or the other fishermen at that time were saying, this is a waste. But they do it. And when they did it, this is what happened. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And in that moment... Peter realizes something. Peter realizes that Jesus isn't your typical rabbi. 
He isn't your typical preacher. There's something special about him. Jesus is a man sent directly by God. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Peter realizes this in this moment. And so Peter, he throws himself down before Jesus' feet. He gets on his knees, and look at what Peter says to Jesus. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In other words, Peter is saying, I know who I am, and Jesus, I know who you are. And you don't want to be around somebody like me. You don't want to be near somebody like me. You deserve to be around somebody better than me. And let me ask, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been around certain people and you thought, if they really knew me, if they really knew some of the things I've done, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. Sadly, that's what keeps some people away from church because some churches put off that impression. And people think, if people in church really knew who I was, they wouldn't want me around. Sometimes people have that view of God. And they know that God sent Jesus to save everybody. But if they make it into heaven, it's because God's just tolerating them. It's because God's obligated to do so because he made them. But when it comes to like using them for his mission and his purposes, no, he can find somebody better than them because of all the things they've done. And so what Jesus wants Peter to know in this moment is that Peter... I came for you. I came for people just like you. I came for you. And I think what Jesus is telling Peter in this moment is, I'm not settling for you. I want you. And I think Jesus is telling us this same truth today. Guys, God doesn't settle for us. He wants us. God doesn't settle for you. He doesn't settle for me. He wants you and he wants me and he wants us so much he was willing to die for you and me. You don't die for someone you don't love. He doesn't love us in a generic, oh, God loves the whole world kind of sense. He loves us personally. We are his children. He doesn't settle for us. He wants us. And everything he's ever done in the history of the world is to get you and me back to him. And that's why in this moment, Peter feels like his life truly matters because he knows he's loved by God. My kids have been watching the Paralympics. They love watching the Olympics while it was going on and they've loved watching the Paralympics after that. And they watch it all the time. I mean, they're glued to it. And it is fascinating for sure to see athletes both in the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games. But you've probably seen this commercial if you've been watching the Olympics or the Paralympics. It's about Jessica Long. Jessica Long, she had a rare disease when she was born and they end up having to amputate both of her legs. Her birth parents didn't want her. They gave her up for adoption and there was a family in the United States because she was originally from Russia. There's a family in the United States who were waiting to adopt a baby. And the, the adoption agency called this family and said, hey, we've got a baby for you, but she's gonna have to have her legs amputated. And her life is gonna be really difficult and your lives are gonna be really difficult as well. And so basically, the person on the other end of the phone was giving these parents a chance to pass and wait for another child. And if you've seen this commercial, you know what happens. Her mom, as a response to what the adoption agency said, 
responds by saying, her life may be difficult, but it's gonna be amazing. I can't wait to meet her. And Jessica Long has talked about the love that her parents showed her throughout her life that motivated her to go on and have the success that she's had. She's won 16 gold medals in the Paralympic Games. But she said, I always knew I was loved for being me. And that's the thing when it comes to God. God loves you for you. And that's what Jesus wants Peter to know. He wants Peter to know, you may not see yourself as anything great, but I love you, and I have a purpose for you. And Jesus gives Peter this invitation. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, you come follow me, and I'm going to give you a new direction. I'm going to give you a new purpose. You're going to get to be part of my mission. You're going to be, get to be part of God's work to redeem the world. And you're not going to catch fish anymore, but you're going to go in and bring in people. You're going to bring people back to God. Jesus here says you're going to have an opportunity to make eternal differences in the lives of men and women. And Peter, when he hears this invitation, he's all in. He's excited. And Peter, he followed Jesus like probably no one else ever did. I mean, when Jesus walked on water, Peter wanted to walk on water. Peter is the first one to ever make a public confession that Jesus is the Christ. He was the first to do it. He was ready to do it. Peter got to be part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, got to see miracles that no one else got to see. It was Peter's home in Capernaum that was used as kind of a home base for Jesus' ministry work. Peter had his mother-in-law healed by Jesus Peter got to see miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching. Peter had a ton of good memories with Jesus. But here's the thing. Like I said earlier, one bad memory can overshadow a whole bunch of good ones. And I think that's what ends up happening for Peter. Because Peter gets to the point in his life where he experiences severe regret. And we see this happening when Jesus is arrested. See, we know that Jesus came for the purpose of going to the cross. And he goes to the cross in order to pay the sin of all of mankind. It was all part of God's plan. But the disciples didn't know that. And so when Jesus is arrested and he's taken to stand before the high priest in Jerusalem, he's being questioned by the high priest. Well, they don't know what's going on. So the disciples, they flee and they scatter. All of them scatter. They run for their lives except for two, John and Peter. And Peter stays close by. And listen to what the Bible says. It says, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. This is how I kind of picture Peter following Jesus. Peter kind of puts his hood over his head because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's a follower of Jesus. And he puts his hood over his head and he goes into the priest's courtyard because it's there that the high priest is questioning Jesus. And he just wants to fit in with the crowd. He doesn't want to be noticed. He doesn't want anybody to see him. And as Peter is trying to fit in with the crowd, John, who's writing this, gives us a little interesting detail. He says, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood with them, 
warming himself. Now you might be thinking, John, why include that detail? Why is that important? We don't care about the weather at this point. You know, Jesus is, he's just been arrested. He's been questioned by the high priest. He's getting ready to be sentenced to death. He's going to go to the cross to pay the price of all mankind's sin. And then he's going to rise from the dead later. We know the story. That's what's important. Why are you worried about the weather, John? Why are you telling us it was cold? And because it was cold, Peter went to a fire that was made by the household servants and guards to warm himself. Why that detail? But John gives even more detail than that. If you notice in this passage, it says that Peter warms himself by a charcoal fire. And this is a unique Greek word that's only used two times in the entire Bible. It's the Greek word anthrakia. It's only used two times in the entire Bible. Once here and then in, an, in another place. So why would John use this specific detail that it wasn't just a fire, it was a charcoal fire? Well, if you've been around a charcoal fire, you know that it has a distinct aroma and smell. And it was around that fire that Peter made his biggest mistake. Peter had his biggest failure. It's around that fire that Peter would deny Jesus for the third time. You see, Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him. And Peter said, never, Lord, I will never deny you. I will die for you. But that's not what happened. Three different times somebody asked Peter, you were one of his disciples, weren't you? You were one of Jesus' followers, weren't you? And three different times, Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And the third time happened around that charcoal fire. While he was still speaking, still denying that he knew Jesus, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Regret. Peter said, never, I will never deny you. And then he does it the third time around this charcoal fire, and then Jesus looks at him. Can you imagine having Jesus look at you in this very moment? And Peter leaves the courtyard weeping because he knows he's just blown up big time. I've done a lot in my life to disappoint Jesus, but I've never publicly denied him. I've also never been in Peter's shoes. So I don't know what I would do in that situation. But we know what Peter did. And I wonder if, in the days that followed, if every time Peter saw a charcoal fire, or smelled the aroma of a charcoal fire, if he didn't think back to the worst moment in his life. I think he probably did. Because memories are powerful. And that's why what happens next after the resurrection is so important. Because after Jesus defeats death and defeats the curse of sin, 
rises from the dead. He comes back and he appears to his disciples on multiple different occasions. And so they know he's alive and they know that he still loves them. But here's the thing. Peter is probably thinking, okay, I know Jesus is back and that's great. I know he defeated death. And that's awesome for the world. And I know he still loves me, but is he really going to use somebody like me? Because Peter's probably thinking, I just denied Jesus three times publicly. There's got to be somebody better than me. I told Jesus I would never do it. I lied to Jesus. There's got to be somebody else. And so after Peter knows that Jesus is alive, some time passes. We don't know how much time. But Peter turns to the other disciples and he says this, I'm going fishing. Now that's important because Peter had not professionally fished since the day that Jesus called him to follow him. And that day, Peter and the other disciples left their nets behind. And Peter hasn't professionally fished since then. And now, after the resurrection, Jesus hasn't appeared to them for a little bit. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. In other words, I'm going back to my old way of life because Peter might be thinking in this moment, Jesus is done using me. He still loves me. I'm still going to go to heaven one day, but he's not going to use me to be a fisher of men. There's got to be somebody better out there than me. And here's the thing. The other disciples say, okay, you're going fishing. We'll go with you. Because even though they hadn't publicly denied Jesus, they had scattered They ran for their lives. They hadn't been very faithful. So they all go fishing. And they go fishing on a lake. It was commonly called the Sea of Galilee. The same lake where some of them first met Jesus. And this is what happened. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Sound familiar? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But, they, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Does this sound familiar? It should. Because what is Jesus doing? He is recreating the memory that they had when they first met him. Jesus knows the power of our memories. And so he's recreating this moment when they first started following him. And so what happens? They throw their net on the other side just as Jesus told them to do. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Again, the exact same thing happens. Jesus causes a miraculous catch of fish to happen again. And in that moment, Peter realizes who this man on the shore is. It's Jesus. And so Peter jumps in the water, and he swims to the shore to go and see Jesus. I mean, Peter, he's this all-in type of guy. He swims to the shore, and John, who's writing about this, gives us a little note that says, basically, and the rest of us were left to carry in this huge catch of fish, you know. Peter left them behind. And they all eventually get to the shore, and when they get to the shore, look at what happens. They find Jesus, and when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking, Jesus was having a cookout, just like we're doing today, and notice something. He's cooking fish, and he hadn't got the fish yet that they had caught. He already had fish waiting on them. How did he get them? I don't know. He's Jesus, you know, but the fish were there. And then look at what it says. We're fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. I said earlier that that word anthrakia, that it's only used twice in the entire Bible, this is the second time. It's first used when Peter denied Jesus. And it's used a second time 
When Peter comes and meets Jesus after the resurrection, when he thought about just going back to being a fisherman again. And I think this is intentional. The fact that this word is only used twice in the entire Bible, I don't think that's an accident. I think what God is trying to tell us in this moment is that Jesus is trying to create a new memory for Peter because every time Peter smelled the aroma of a charcoal fire, he thought of the worst moment of his life and Jesus wants to change that. He wants to replace this picture of failure with a picture of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And you know how I know that? Because when Peter got to this charcoal fire and he started to smell it, he probably went right back to his worst moment ever. And look at what Jesus does. Three different times, Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? Three times. Don't miss the significance of this. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Three times Peter denies Jesus around one charcoal fire and the second charcoal fire, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And three different times, Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And three different times, Jesus then tells Peter, then feed my sheep. In other words, I'm not done with you yet, Peter. Your story isn't finished yet, Peter. I know what you did. I know you messed up. I know you're full of regret right now. And that regret, it is haunting you. It is keeping you from living out the mission that I want you to live out. But it doesn't have to. Because I'm not done with you yet, Peter. Your story isn't over, it's just beginning. And I think that's exactly what God wants for you to hear today as well. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've experienced. I don't care what someone has done to you. God isn't finished with you yet. Your story isn't over. And Jesus has the power to rewrite anyone's story. And he can take the picture of your deepest, darkest regret. And he can replace it with the picture of his forgiveness and grace. And I believe that what Jesus wanted from this point on said every time that Peter smelled the aroma of a charcoal fire, he didn't think of his worst moment. But he thought this, God's grace is greater than our biggest regrets. And we as a church, we know that. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we're full of joy. That's why we have reason to celebrate even when times are tough. Because we know what we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. We have been given new life in him. And that's why every single time there's a baptism here at First Church, it's not a solemn occasion. We celebrate. We cheer. We clap. We whistle. We hoop and holler. We go nuts. You know why? Because we know what we have in Jesus and we know nothing that this world does to us can take what we have in him. I'll never forget one time I was visiting a church and I was the guest speaker there and they had a baptism that Sunday and I was sitting right on the front row beside their preacher and so this baptism took place and as soon as it was finished, I started to clap. You know, I started to clap because it was a baptism and I was the only one in the entire auditorium clapping and I remember looking around like, oh, I feel awkward. I was in the front row, everybody's staring at me. And the preacher who was standing beside me leaned over and he said, oh, we don't do that here. (laughs) And I wanted to say, why not? Guys, if you can't celebrate new life in Christ, what can you celebrate? Guys, we are a church of joy. And we are invading the sadness of this world. 
with the joy of heaven because what we see around us is temporary. It is passing. It is fading away. But the joy that we have in knowing the resurrected Lord, it lasts forever. And today, yeah, you can clap for that. And today, the invitation to experience that joy is for you. Where your sin put a comma, I mean put a period, Jesus wants to replace it with a comma. Where your sin put a period, Jesus wants to replace it with a comma because your story isn't finished yet. Don't miss out on the celebration that is the resurrection of Jesus. Peter almost missed out on it. But Jesus didn't want him to. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss it either. And I believe Jesus wants you to know today, you're exactly who I came for. You are loved by me. I've got a purpose for your life. Let's rewrite your story and it'll be amazing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today and this time we've had to meet together as your church. We just pray that we will not just listen to the invitation that your son is giving us, but we will respond to it and live this new life that he wants to give us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.